everyone. It's Elizabeth, the producer of the American Dream Podcast. We're doing something a little different on the show this week, because it's been a little over a year since we launched the podcast, which means it's also been a little over a year since Elias shared his story on the show. Since then, many of you have joined us. Thank you very much. And we thought it might be time to share a little bit more of his story, which is why we're excited to release an exclusive talk between Elias and Forum Ventures today. Forum Ventures is an early stage fund, program, and community for B2B SaaS startups. In the talk, Elias shares stories from the early days of Drift, how he and David got started, the storms they've weathered and are still weathering, and some of the biggest lessons he's learned. Hope you enjoy it. You're about to present, I'm going to try to put myself in your shoes, right? You're about to present for fundraising, right? And so you're kind of revealing to the world what you've been thinking. So I'll give you an example, right? We left HubSpot, we start working on Drift, and we don't know exactly what we're going to do, right? So we lived for about almost two years. You spent four months, we spent two years trying different ideas in our minds and trying to build prototypes, trying to figure out if we had fallen in love with what we were doing. And so it's a very difficult thing. And I'm, what I'm trying to say to you is I understand, right? It's like to be able to give that one-liner with confidence and to say, this is what we do and this is what we solve, it's nerve-wracking, right? Because you're kind of like, have to show everybody that you believe in it. You have to prove to them that it's a good idea. And it affects you as an individual to your core, right? It's like everything, your reputation, your credit, everything that affects an entrepreneur, it's all like bottled in that one story. It's like, is that really what you're working on? You know, I'm sure there's a lot of questions that are running through your mind, right? That you have fears. Like, is that what you're thinking? Is that big enough? Or you're crazy? Or you're not going to be able to do that? That's too big of a problem. There's too many competitors in this space, right? The first thing that we launched, if you want to hear a struggle, was this thing called Annotate. So Drift built a mobile app that literally, like if you use an iPhone now, you know when you take a screenshot, you have the ability to scribble over it, right? And then you send it forward. So that didn't exist in iOS about four years ago. We built that and we're building an app that we launched on the App Store And we were saying that, and everybody was like, oh my God, this is so useful. You can annotate this and you can send it. And it's like, and we're like, imagine us trying to come up with a story that says why that was like a billion dollar idea, right? A $10 billion idea. And we launched it to the public and that that was a struggle, right? Because everybody's like, that's what David and you are working on. And so, you know, what are the lessons learned with that? It's like, it's about pride, right? It's about trying to be impressive, try to show all this all the time great things. And then sometimes you got to put out there and, and people are going to laugh at you, right? And say, that's what you're building. And that can't stop you, right? So that was one of my early struggles there, launching Annotate and charging $99 on the App Store and like showing people. I mean, we were doing crazy stuff. We were going and talking to people at Starbucks, showing the app, hoping for people to spread the word and and we were monitoring the app usage on the store and figure out how many active users we were having every week and seeing like, how do we scale that to be a B2C company and how are we going to scale that to be millions and millions in revenue? Wow, that was hard. 
very hard for us, right? So you think that that drift was completely different, right? You, you would think, right? When we did the pivot and you, you guys say, well, look at, look at drift now, right? It's like, you know, billion dollar idea. Well, guess what? When we decided to build chat drift, we go and release it. We kind of pivoted, which by the way, pivoting is a really good thing to do. <laughs> There's nothing wrong, right? This is something, another, another warning. One of you in here, I guarantee you, will pivot from the one-line idea that you have, the elevator pitch. You, what you end up doing, what you end up fundraising on, or what you end up actually settling after you fundraise, might be different than what you're doing today, right? It's just the way of the business. And pivots are very important because it shows that you're learning. It shows that you're validating or invalidating hypothesis, right? You can't expect that you knew it all along, that you had the right idea from the very beginning. Almost nothing ever really is like that perfect. No one has that perfect foresight to say, oh, this is the problem and this is the largest marketplace. You kind of stumble upon it. You might be even doing micro pivots in your journey on a day-to-day basis. You, You might hear in a conversation some idea, some suggestion that makes you think differently or like maybe puts you into a different segment, different buyer, different industry different size of the industry, different geography. And that's enough to propel you into a pivot that could make or break your company, right? And so that's something that we did when we were launching Annotate. When we launched it, we started realizing how the struggle that was to communicate with our customers, with our users, and how to acquire new customers. And we realized that that was a bigger problem than the drawing. And eventually we saw things in the beta and the iOS where that was coming in and that we were going to get crushed. And that's another thing that forces you to do a pivot, right? And so we do a pivot and we have an offsite. By the way, there's an important thing. I used to hate offsites. I used to be like, what are these offsites? Like, you know, you put sticky notes on the walls and you brainstorm and you do trust falls. It was too much Silicon Valley for me. Like, I was like, that's crazy. But now I'm a big believer in them, right? To really take yourself out of that day-to-day, the same environment that you are. Ideally, invite someone outside of your company to help you both facilitate or help you think differently. That prepares the plans so you're not stuck in the weeds organizing that. And so we had a three-person offsite where we went with one of our advisors and we locked ourselves for almost two days and that's really where we made the pivot from Annotate, which was a, one of our last experiments, into Drift as you see today. And from December to April, we launched Chat and we launched Drift, right? Kind of very similar to what you see today. Same target customer base, same problem, same need in the market. And you think everybody was like, yeah, this is awesome. You think everybody got it? When we launched that, it was just as, you know, people were like, this is stupid, right? (laughs) It's like, how many thousands of chat providers exist out there that do the same thing? Like what you said, you see it, right? It's like, why are you going to make this better? Why are you going to make different? You know, how are you going to solve this, right? And so we then had another hill to climb, right? Of like being able to communicate, differentiate, find a niche, a wedge in the market, a beachhead to start with, and to 
resegment the market ultimately to create a category, right? And so like, that's what everybody wants. So everybody wants to create a category. So you have to, as you are moving towards this investor's day, you have to tell a compelling story and you have to tell both how is it a big problem and how is it believable that you can accomplish that. But then you have to tell it to make it believable, you have to pick that beachhead, right? And so what is Drift's beachhead at the time? One is that we repurposed chat that was formerly more only known for support. And we said that we were going to make chat for sales. People were not doing that, if you believe it or not. Like people was like, no, you don't. No, no. We tried. The, the CROs and the marketers would tell us, we tried that before. We do not have the manpower to man chats and, and to do stuff with it. It's too much effort. It doesn't work. We don't want to use that. And so that's what Drift four years ago encountered, right? We had to change that. And so our beachhead was B2B tech, marketers, SaaS, pick one group of people, not every industry, and go make sure that we heard them and their challenges and that we built a solution that no one else was paying attention to. None of the chat companies were saying, what does the marketer need in a chat solution on the web so that was the beachhead. That was the niche that we found. You had to make a compelling story for something very big. And we said, always go and draw from the market, right? For example, from society, from the civilization. We went and showed the stats that said how many people had shifted to text messaging, right? It's like grandparents are now texting. They're online. Today now, another big shift in the market happened with COVID, right? Everybody's on Zoom. Before this, it was only, what is it, 10 million people were on Zoom? Now it's how many? It's over 200, right? People did not know what Zoom was until a month ago. The same was with messaging. And so that's the things that you tag along. You want to tag along megatrends that are happening in, in the world that, just, that will justify a massive outcome that you can then ride upon. Because you alone, when you're starting a company this small, are not capable of creating that wave. One of the things you're going to learn in startups is that you, you better go find your wave and you go right that wave. And the timing has to be perfect. If your timing is not perfect, if you're too early, I don't know if, how many of you surf, right? But if, if you're too early, it passes you by. You don't even feel it. And you saw it ahead of everybody else, but you're not riding. If you're too late, you're going to get crushed. And so that's kind of what happened. So I think that for us, it was... Understanding that wave, the wave was messaging. Then it's like we repurposed, we found our beachhead, which was grab chat for sales, where nobody else was there before. We went and did that. And then we explained the huge market opportunity that we had. Because if you, you can't go to the investors if you don't show something that is like really, really big. And you have to be ambitious, right? It's like if you're not speaking in believable terms of a huge opportunity, they're not, right? And so I think that that's an area where category definition kicks in, right? Is that the way that you win in most cases to me is by changing the playing field. I changed the game to my advantage, so we win. I didn't want to be the, the best chat tool just for sake of being the best chat tool. I don't know, WhatsApp is better. I don't know, Messenger. Like we couldn't compete with that, right? The amount of engineers backing Facebook Messenger is, is a whole nother level. But none of those cared about messaging for sales. None of them care about B2B messaging for sales. 
Apple launched a chat, right? And it was for business. It's still more for the consumer. It's not more for B2B. And so those are the areas where you, you have to find, those are the ways that you can use to validate a, a beachhead, right? And when we launched, we took it easy. Something that we do, I, I think is, as we launch new products at Drift, we kind of follow the same pattern, which is, you know, first we have to find product market fit, right? We launch something, we have to launch it as soon as possible. You have to charge as soon as possible. It's like, if you launch something right now and, and you're going to go on stage and say like, hey, look, I have this, I have this customers and none of them are paying, it's not going to be good, right? You want to be able to go on stage and say you have a paying customer, even if they pay you very little. It's okay. The first customers adrift, they were paying us 25 bucks a month. Uh, many customers paying us over $100,000 a year. Look at that, how crazy that is, that in three years, we went from 25 bucks to over $100,000 for a brand new contract. And so that is something that very few companies can do that quickly, right? Either you start at end or you start at the bottom, and then you start at the bottom, you can't move up that, that high. So, but having a paying customer to start with is better than not having any. And so you want that product market fit to be validated by paying customers, but to get to paying, what we did is, for example, it took us about three quarters to get to paying a Drift, right? We, the first quarter, we focused on people signing up for Drift. All we care about it was people signing up, finding us, being able to sign up. <laughs> you just have a process to sign up and want to sign up. We were so excited. You know, I still remember, like, we were at Canal Park at the office across over there at Lichmere, and it was the first two or three websites that, that we went to their site and saw them installing Drift. And it was like, unbelievable, right? And, it's like, and so we set our goal to be, to have a thousand installs for the quarter. And we surpassed that. We, we ended up doing over 2000 that quarter, which things that felt unbelievable. So my advice there is to focus, focus on one thing, focus on one goal. And it was like, all we cared about was signups. We didn't care about anything else. We didn't care what they did. It's just if they put their name on it and they sort of tried to put the widget on their website, that was more than enough. Go for it. Once we overcame that goal, then the next step was activation. Are they actually using your product? Get more people to use the product, even if you know, they fell through on, the, on, on their onboarding, right? And so we were focused on contacting every person that signed up why they didn't get it on their website? What stopped them? What was the roadblock? What, what was missing? And that was the second quarter. And then the third quarter is when we put the billing, right? But in just three quarters, we had 500 paying customers and we had reached about 300K in recurring revenue. And shy, you know, we had a goal of a million for the first three quarters. But that's the other thing is that you got to just set ambitious goals, right? And the goal was like, after experimenting for two years, we said, shoot, we got to go. We got to get people using the product and we have to have enough value for us to charge them something. And that was like how we got the, the basics foundation of Drift, right? We have a problem, we committed, we launched it, we got people to use it, activate it, and then pay for it. Then it was a matter of expansion. How do we solve more problems for the customers? How do we generate more value for them that they're willing to pay us more? I would say... I've experienced three downturns, right? I'll say one is me as a young person in Nicaragua growing up in a communist country where 
I lived under food rationing and very, very poor, very little resources. I mean, not like, what, what is it? Like not poverty levels, like not like I wasn't like on the street, but compared to, I mean, it, it's like we lived in a barred home. We had limited amount of food that we would get by a communist, you know, Russian influence government. We had, I got dengue. So it's like this pandemic stuff. It's like, I, I, I experienced a lot of this stuff growing up. So like what I'm experiencing now is like, I'm in a much better situation now than when I was experiencing those issues there. Maybe they were not affecting the whole world, but they were affecting my whole country, right? So I would say like that category is one, that whole group of experiences. The second was the 2000, right, Y2K, and seeing the crash and me just recently graduated, being newly wed, living in a more, moved from Florida to the Northeast, more expensive living, cost of living, and, and I was like on, you know, I was one foot on a startup, one foot at IBM, trying to juggle that and, and experiencing what I saw in the companies and not, not enough jobs out there, not enough companies hiring. So that was my, my second and then my third one was 2008, which was I quit IBM after 10 years, three kids at home. You're probably seeing them walk back and forth. I don't know. Got three kids now. They're teenagers now. But I have three kids ages four, two, and one. And I quit IBM. And my wife is at home with us. And I'm working from home. And I'm every day in my bedroom with a desk working with David on our first company called Lookery. And as soon as I quit, Two weeks later, the market crashes and we are 10 people in that company and we lay off five of them. And now I'm working on this company with five people, not a lot in funding, not a lot in revenue. And we have to buckle down and I work day and night out of this bedroom, right? It's like, this is the experience. And so that was with David already. And so we not only did that crash, but then we went and started Performable still during that recession, right? That depression, whichever one that is. And in there, I learned of the value of being able to raise fundraising a downturn, right? Which is like, if you guys get money right now, you're going to be in a very privileged spot and you're going to have an amazing opportunity. Don't waste it, right? Because not everyone, will, you're not in a place of like super abundance where everybody can like compete against everybody and waste their, their, their money. By you getting that, That'll give you an advantage that many other people just won't be able to even start. David is, is, is scrappy and frugal, right? It's just like, but that's kind of like how we, you know, we're both immigrants, son of immigrants, right? And it's like never been wasteful in our resources. So think about it. Like, you know, we raise money, we have $3 million, but we don't know how long that lasts. We don't know how much revenue we get. And, and in about, nine, about a year and nine months in the existence, we reach a million in ARR at Performable which would, you know, what put us on the map and made us very attractive to HubSpot, right, for the acquisition. And so I would say that, yeah, we were absolutely penny pinches. There was every dollar had to go, like, for every hire had to matter. Every, everything, you know, was like, where do we do an office? We were renting in Amesbury, Massachusetts, you know, which it was like a dollar per square foot, right? And it was like a 1,500 square foot office, right? And it's like, we were, you know, we would go buy computers. Together. I mean, we just kept everything very minimal. We bought a couple of desks at Ikea. I mean, it's like very minimal because we didn't know how long that was going to last and how long 
was going to take for the economy to turn. And so now back to today, the big thing that you have to deal with this is what kind of pivot you have to make as a company to be different, right? At that time, we felt that the problem that we were solving, it was pretty clear. We, we needed to do that. We were kind of inventing really online marketing, right? This was the days where in, at, at Performable because there was no growth marketing. There was no nurture emails. There was no sequences. There was none of that stuff was easily doable, right? You kind of had to cobble that stuff together and only very few people knew how to do that by hand. And so we knew we we're on the right path from a technology perspective. Now, if you're stuck in this, you have to understand, is what you're building a painkiller, a luxury, right? Or a painkiller or a vitamin? You have to decide, how do customers see you? When the economy hits the bottom, do they go and cut budget? Would you get cut first? And so that, that's the first thing. Where we are today is that we're validating something that I always wanted to, right? Which is our product is more necessary now than ever, right? Because businesses are like, don't have as much staff. They rely all on digital. People are coming to their website. They need to maximize every prospect, every person knocking on their door, on their website to make sure that they connect them to help them find and realize the value that their product provides. And so it's like, great. We have to be operationally excellent to make sure that we optimize in these times because no matter what, the purses are going to be tight, right? People are not just buying everything all the time, right? Only like the most essential things. And so that's kind of where we are. We're validating that. We are very hopeful, we're very excited. And we know that the best companies are the ones that emerge from this. And, and so you guys, you know, starting a company now, it's fantastic, right? Because the lessons you're going to have, the scrappiness, the financially conservative skills, the focus on, on profitability as opposed to just growth will create a great business that you want to make it unkillable, right? Unkillable means, you know, you get to 50, 100 people that pay for themselves, then you're unstoppable, right? Then you're always going to attract investors no matter what. You're always going to do that. If you build that kind of business, it's much better than building a business just on hype and momentum and marketing or brand or some partnership, right? Profitability is still the, the true way of building a business. And that's really something that we've been focusing on. Like, how far would we be from profitability if we focus on that? Cost saving, Amazon, expenses, ability to scale more customers with the same amount of people. Those are the kinds of things that we're thinking. And so given that, that I've experienced this before, I'm hopeful. I think that I'm extremely privileged that I can be here at home working from here and still making a lot of progress in our company. I'm worried about the rest of society. Um, you know, something I'm doing right now is that compared to the days where I couldn't afford food or I had like three months of savings in 2008, one of the things that I've done right now, first time I'm saying this is like, I'm so far I already given March, April, and I'm going to do May, I'm doing my 100% of my salary, right? To help the communities and through nonprofits of Latinx communities, right? That, that are struggling because they don't have the kind of jobs that I have now, right? And so those are the things that I'm able to do now. I'm in a better position. So I'm worried about that in a certain extent, but I'm also worried about my company to survive this and to come out stronger than ever because the next part of our stages, our growth is to go towards an IPO. And the more efficient that we are, the more successful, the more accurate are we like defining the value that we provide to our customers, the better. You need to be able to get money 
without any revenue or with very little revenue. It's like, there's no other, you know what I mean? It's like, unless you fund it yourself and you turn. So there are many ways to get money in that early stage. And so what I'm trying to say is that the context is you need to have some money to go towards that a million in revenue because you need to have at least one salesperson, you know, one engineer, one, one marketer, you and the co-founder and, and a salesperson, something like somebody has to help you sell it. And so I think that the, the amount doesn't matter as much. What matters is that you're closing one, two, three customers. Because remember what I said, we had 500 customers at 25 bucks. If I did the math of what, how many were it was going to take to get to a million, it's just hard, right? And so what's easier is just to increase the value, right? And so you, you can and recur in revenue. So I, I think that everybody, tricks that you can say, it's like if you sold something for $10,000 a year, you can say, look, if I had a better sales rep, I, I could sell that for 25. And that's better than, than having to market a whole bunch of stuff, right? As long as you can show success with customers, as long as you can say, you can show that they're not churning, right? As long as you can show those things, you can extrapolate the rest. And it's all going to be appropriate to your stage. If somebody's going to find a problem, if you made $2 million in revenue, but they're all churning, it doesn't matter, right? It's like, I'd rather have less churn and less revenue than more revenue and higher churn, right? Thanks for listening to the American Dream Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe so you never miss when a new episode drops. If you like this episode, please leave a six-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're interested in learning more about my American Dream mission, subscribe to my newsletter linked in the show notes.